Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Illustrated live postgame show presented by the On3 Network. Penn State falls in a battle of undefeated teams at Michigan by a score of 41 to 17 in a top 10 matchup. It was difficult to watch, to say the least. Uh, myself, Tom Hannafin, and my analyst for this show, Thomas Frank Carr, of course, of Blue White Illustrated, will be joining us here in just a moment to break down this entire game. This was obviously extremely disappointing for Penn State football fans. So we encourage all of you to get involved in the chat and let us know how you're thinking and feeling because we certainly want to hear it. Everybody is here feeling largely the same things that you are. This is a very disappointing performance by the Penn State Nittany Lions. I want to go ahead and bring in Thomas Frank Carr here, who's joining us uh, from his studio in State College, Pennsylvania. Thomas, uh, this was rough. Uh, what jumps to mind for me is the now infamous quote of James Franklin from 2018 following a loss to the Ohio State Buckeyes, and this is a very similar situation. This has been a good Penn State football program. At times, it's been a great Penn State football program. This is not an elite Penn State football program, and when the margin of loss is that big, and not just on the scoreboard, but in the stats, and evident when you open your eyes and watch the game, yeah, this was very, very difficult. Um, what are your initial takeaways? Uh, that everyone took an L this week <laughs> because like I, I, Joel Klatt said it on, on the broadcast. He did not expect today's game to come down to the Michigan offensive line dominating the Penn state defensive line. PJ Mustfer and Keen Beeman, all of the starters were healthy and available for the game. They've been a very good run defense from a technical standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. And then they gave up 418 yards rushing. That is a jaw dropping number. Uh, the explosive plays, we, we can get into some of the things that happened that caused this. I thought Michigan came in with a great game plan, but Penn State got their ass kicked. Like when it comes down to it, they they were not physically up to the match of the uh, Michigan offensive line. And as the game went on, they played more tentative. They played with less conviction and more doubt. And this defense in particular, you have to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Their ability to play with quickness and penetration, it's its all based on that. And the second level of the defense, to me, especially at the start of the game, everyone was having a bad game. As the game progressed into the second quarter, really the cracks exposed that the, the linebackers and the secondary were not on the same page. They were not rallying to the football. They were not able to uh, execute. Just being in your gap, be in your gap. They could not get to their gaps today. And that's exactly what happens when you don't get to your gaps against Blake Corum, who is an explosive running back, such a good football player. And uh, yeah, we see the results of it. 41-17 in a game that should have been a larger margin of victory for the Wolverines. 
Uh, I want to remind everybody, because a lot of people are already dropping in in the chats, A, we do want to hear what you guys have to say, but on top of that, get involved in the Super Chat. If you want to donate directly to the channel, the Blue White Illustrated channel, your questions will be highlighted and we'll address as many of those questions here live on the show that have donations behind them. And a reminder that Blue White Illustrated is available for just a dollar a month to subscribe. Head to on3.com and search Blue White Illustrated for the homepage to sign up today. I am seeing many of you guys get involved in the chat and uh, I stress ask a question with your donation <laughs> um trust me we're all feeling your pain we are all <laughs> feeling your pain uh and a shameless plug for myself and matt mcgloin we have paid her uh podcast uh paid her to penn state football show courtesy of the bleed podcast network we're going to get a show out a little bit later on today uh recapping this game uh we had a full preview episode um it also airs on espn radio state college on mondays and fridays there's just so much to unpack here, and I'm seeing a lot of people in the comments section already going off saying, uh, fire James Franklin, uh, Sean Clifford needs to be benched. I think you touched on it there uh, moments ago that there is blame to go around for everybody in this game, and it yeah. is not necessarily a situation where you can point to one singular person on the field or off the field and say, this was your fault. This was a systemic breakdown yeah. for Penn State football. Um and I can't even look at this and say, oh, this was something where it was just a mismatch, T. Frank. Like, Michigan, we know what they do. This is what they've done the last handful of years. It's what they did successfully on the way to the college football playoff. Uh, and credit to J.J. McCarthy. He came out and he played a very solid game. And yep. that was going to be the only chance Penn State had was to limit the rushing attack and then make J.J. McCarthy win. None of that happened. Um, yeah. Where do we begin? I guess let's start with. Let's start <laughs> I'm with glad that you don't know either, because I never know where to go with these things. Because a lot of what starts a game is the plan of attack, right? So a lot of the things I'm thinking about come from the first half of the game. But everyone's obviously uh, reacting to the blowout that happened in the third quarter. So I think we should probably start there. Yeah, that part of the game to me was a deciding factor, and Michigan didn't really change anything def- uh, offensively. The biggest problem that Penn State had in this game, and there's there's tackling, there's being in your gap, but really what they did is Michigan got their running backs into space. Um, and, and the backbreakers were those sweep plays where they're pulling one or two offensive linemen to the front side of the formation. They were motioning guys out of the out of the formation, kind of giving that that tight end nub look on the boundary and then running there. And they put their offensive linemen in a situation to block guys in space and they just ate them up. But Penn state's inability at linebacker to run sideline to sideline. Tyler Elsden was, was a, a really, um, he, he struggled today. Tyler Elsden had a really bad day. It's putting it mildly. The tackling across the board continues to be terrible this season. And, but it wasn't even the tackling as much as it was the tackling. It was also not being in the play because you can't get there. And I thought Michigan, despite Penn State's speed overall, attacked the areas that Penn State struggled. Jonathan Sutherland struggled to get into the right gap and to not. Penn State over-pursued at times, and then they didn't pursue enough at other times. So the second level of the defense, to, and this is the part that I did not anticipate and that I was wrong about. The Penn State defensive line did a decent job throughout the game. P.J. Mustafer, Hakeem Beeman after the first series, they were in their gaps. They were playing well, but this is not a, a, a team that plays with two gappers and guys that are taking up multiple blocks. Everyone has to be in their gap. Everyone has to be accounted for. And they didn't do that. 
the other touchdown to Blake Corum was just a simple inside zone, I believe, where you've got uh, the the front side did their job. Everyone held their gap, but the backside of the play, no one crashed down. Uh, Chop Robinson, who was largely not a part of the game today, was washed out by a double team. And then Tyler Elsden, the, the I think it was the right guard, climbed to the second level, sealed him off, and he hit. He, he was completely defeated, like completely defeated. He did not get around the block. He did not push the gap. He was blocked on the side. He was supposed to be blocked and offered no resistance. So then you've got a free run down the A gap into the secondary, and then you make one guy miss and you get a touchdown. This is what Penn State's been trying to do with getting their freshmen to the, to the, to the safety and let them make a play. And Blake Corum and Donovan uh, Edwards were those guys. They did that today. And those two explosive runs, Penn State kept it close. They couldn't keep it close after that. It was over once you gave them those opportunities and they took advantage of it. Uh, To Michigan's credit, that offensive line is outstanding. They picked up right where they left off last season. Uh, A relative question here in the comment section from Gooney, just in regards to the way Penn State's defense and to what you said, the front seven of Penn State's defensive line. Is this play calling? Is this on Manny Diaz? This was a relatively conservative effort from uh, Manny Diaz in regards to play calling. So that's, that's the mystifying part because Gooney's right. Indiana and Maryland didn't look that bad. They were able to control the line of scrimmage. They were able to play uh, and bottle up Blake Corum outside of the the inside rushes. That's what I talked about all week. Like the the facts were there. Indiana stopped the run. They allowed, I think, twelve yards rushing between the tackles, which is why I came in. And I said Penn State can play with this. Like this is not an elite offensive line because they've had these performances on film that were not that. And then they came out and steamrolled Penn State. So I I think it says more about Penn State's front than it does about Michigan, although that's not to take away from the fact that they completely manhandled the Nittany Lions. I do believe injuries were a part of this early in the season uh, for Keegan, the left guard especially. Uh, But, but, you know, they had difference-making blockers that were able to get to the second level and to get on linebackers. And the linebackers, to me, that's the story of the day. Not to hammer this home, but they... They they were not good, and, and they offered yeah. they offered less um, as the game went on. It, they did not respond to that challenge very well. Where after maybe the end of the first, uh, end of the second quarter, into the third, they did okay. But then it was you know off to the races. <laughs> there, there's not much to say over other than that. To me, T. Frank, it, it was one of those situations where you're getting your butt kicked in the second half. Um, the, the, uh, I can absolutely point towards this being a situation where the defense was on the field for so much of that first yeah. half and deep into the second half, obviously. So I think there was some fatigue. Obviously, uh, morale was probably very, very down there in the second half to the point that it's like, let's just get this thing over with. Yeah. Uh, so sure. I, I do I do point towards that. That's not the best uh, explanation for a, situa- a situation like that. And you never want to see that from your players. You want to see them finish the game. But honestly, put yourself in the shoes of all these players that were getting shellacked out there. I feel like I would probably react in, in a similar fashion. They also started putting in some of the younger players you saw. Yes. You saw Abdul Carter, I think, out there for the entire fourth quarter. And uh, Kobe King was out there as well. So you were playing some young depth players. and uh, And that's, I think, part of how the game ended as well. 
Yeah. Um, in regards to substitutions, for those that didn't see it, um, Sean Clifford allegedly suffered a right shoulder injury. He was in the tent uh, for a portion of the fourth quarter, came out, didn't have his helmet on. So there must have been a decision. And again, we'll wait to hear from James Franklin in his postgame comments. Uh, there must have been a decision that, hey, the game's out of hand. Let's not send you back in and re-aggravate an injury, especially to his throwing shoulder. That's why Drew Aller went into the game at the point that he did. This was not necessarily Sean Clifford getting yanked or benched in favor yeah. of Drew Aller, which I think there's a lot of Penn State fans that would have preferred to have seen Drew Aller just be entered into the game and have Sean Clifford removed, or at least that was maybe yeah. the dream scenario for a lot of Penn State fans. And this was a nightmare situation to put any young player into but was was sean clifford bad so this is everybody was bad (laughs) see i don't know that sean clifford was terrible today because there was nobody to throw to the the offensive the offensive play calling was fairly outfoxed so second half let's talk about the first drive of the second half where uh sean clifford they come out and they throw the first two plays uh a screen that wasn't there because they blew that up and and Brenton Strange was not available for a pass. So he throws that in the dirt. And then the next play, they go with a quick slant, a staple of this offense, and they drop a linebacker, a defensive end into that into that passing lane. So he doesn't have anyone to throw to. They drop the, the defensive ends into those passing lanes and then he has to scramble and throw the ball away. So in those situations, you know, first read, second read are taken away. There's nobody to throw to because this this receiving core and the the game matchup, Penn State could not run the football. And Michigan could uh, they could allocate the fewest number of resources necessary to stop it because they were better up front than Penn State. And then they would take away the other things that Penn State would want to do. On third and long and under pressure, I was actually impressed with Clifford today. He stepped up through pressure. He delivered the ball down the middle of the field to Mitchell Tinsley to beat some zones. And then he had uh, the go ball of his life to Harrison Wallace. The one pass he can't really throw, he was able to throw uh, in this game. So I thought he was fine. It was literally everything around him was not functioning. And, you know, he threw 19 passes. Most of those were in the second half. I don't know that there was a ton to really do with Sean Clifford, but the running game and the plan of attack was, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm normally not a play call guy. I'm not a guy that, that comes out and, uh, you know, trashes the play calling. I was surprised by some of the decisions and the game plan coming in. Yeah, there were some decisions on offense. And again, this comes back to game management issues uh, that have been symptomatic of James Franklin's entire time as the uh, as the head coach. And granted, he's not necessarily calling the play, but he is the one saying we're going for it. Um, Analytics comes into a lot of these things. Uh, There was the fourth and six attempt. I'm trying to remember where it was somewhere in the third quarter where Penn State uh, had fourth and six in Michigan territory, called a timeout, still went for it, and went for a post-corner route to Parker Washington that was just a little out of Parker's reach. It did go through his hands, so I'll give Sean credit on that one. But the play design was odd. There was a lot of use of the corner fade on third down in manageable situations. It is such a low percentage throw, and that is not Sean's throw. And on top of that, 
if I had Brenton Strange out there against a corner that's 5'10", maybe I'd be like, yeah, go for it. But you're yeah. putting Parker Washington up a guy who's at the same size or something like that. I, I didn't like any of those things. What did you see? So in those situations, because people ask me about that, and, and I also do not like that particular play call. The, the thing that I'm thinking is that they're, they're anticipating getting a... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted because my green screen is falling. You have a ghost. Yes. <laughs> um, they're expecting to get a uh, pass interference call, I think, is the only thing that makes sense to me. That you're expecting um, one of two things is going to happen. He's going to catch the ball or it's going to be a pass interference. Now, they the ball wasn't on target. That's the problem. So the in those situations, the receiver did not get a clean win over the top. That's the first problem, especially on the Mitchell Tinsley one on the second pass. And uh, the ball is being thrown to a spot. They're not throwing a back shoulder. Penn State's gotten so many of these pass interference calls in the red zone uh, because they're getting back shouldered. And the, the defense back is grabbing as the guy turns around. So the pass that if that makes sense, if my idea is the reason, it's the wrong function of that pass you're you you but so to me when you were looking at it they just think that that's going to be their play that's the play they want to get and they think they're going to hit it and i i think everyone disagrees with that it's just not a high percentage throw and, and even if you've got a, a really accurate quarterback and you've got somebody who can win the size you know yeah. uh, mismatch or something like that it just feels awkward um pete anthem getting involved uh, thank you all for donating to the channel uh, we really appreciate it we were Outcoached and outplayed by a better team. The best you can say about Clifford is that he wasn't that bad. Um, yeah, and, and listen, I'm not going to stand here and try and defend Sean Clifford. I, I think if you were going to make the switch to Drew Aller, you probably needed to do it earlier in the third quarter for it to make a real difference. The fact that this game was a two-point game at half is mind-boggling. And yeah. it was very evident very early on that Michigan was – outstanding on defense Penn State could not move the ball and was reliant on the big play a la the 62 yard rush by Sean Clifford so you will yeah. give him credit for if he doesn't do that in the first half this isn't a ball game at halftime which is unbelievable to think and then the pick six was such a freak play I had to watch the replay over again a couple of times Doink to see how Curtis head. <laughs> yeah like you know and chop gets in there and then Curtis Jacobs is going I'm like how in the yeah. world did this happen so yeah I, I'm I was blown away to see it as close as it was at halftime but that final score that was accumulated by Michigan in the second half, how, how deflating is it to see what that gap is between Michigan and Penn State? If Penn State is even the third, fourth, fifth best team in the Big Ten? I, I don't know. I mean, I had certain opinions about this defense that are out the window. You know, going into another game against a Minnesota team that wants to play the same way, wants to play heavy sets, they want to play aggressive. I don't know how Penn State's going to defend that because they couldn't defend this. And of course I have to, you know, see what Michigan Minnesota is all about and how they play and all of those things. But just off the blush playing against good big 10 offensive lines. And this was a very good uh, Michigan offensive line. That's making me eat my words here. You know, Penn State's defense, they didn't, they didn't come to play, but I don't know that I put it. This, this is a tough one because that game script could be very different in the first half. Michigan drives down the field, methodical drive, touchdown, or a field goal. Penn State comes with a three and out because they wanted to run the ball to establish the run. Run, and I think it was another pass. Let me pull up my, my game notes of their first drive so I have this correct. Uh, let's see. 
And run thank pass you, run even late for uh, getting involved and coming back from the bathroom we appreciate that <laughs> thank you so much yeah i guess that's that's where we're going to end here no analysis needed not as good as i thought yeah that's how i feel too uh, i don't know that there's a lot of analysis that we need to do here about the actual play-by-play but when you look at the parker washington he hit him in the slant he gets eight yards they were fighting that was that was good like leaning into that was what i've seen coming to the game is uh, strange and Parker Washington over the middle attack that part of the field. And then they go with their same condensed formations, trying to get Nick Singleton to bounce to the outside, get him out in space. And it's Michigan. It, it you know, it's, it's not, this is not a bad team with bad athletes. They're going to beat some of the, the blocks and, and they ran into the strength of Michigan. That to me, that's the part where I'm looking at this game plan. And I was a little shocked, honestly, that that was the game plan, that they were going to try and still run the ball down the throat when Mozzie Smith was so good. He destroyed both of those running plays, and they gained exactly one, uh, exactly zero yards. So not going with the short passing game, not putting the ball in, in Clifford's hands earlier, I, I'm, I'm surprised. You know, and I know this team has an identity of being able to run the football, but that's a better run defense. And that was clear coming to this game. The Penn State wasn't going to be able to run between the tackles. And that's what they attempted to do. Um, the rest of the game plan, we have no idea because they never got to it. it, it they had to halftime adjust after 14 plays. You're scripted through like 12. So mm -hmm. who the hell knows what the game plan was. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've been saying this uh, the entirety of this season on Pater to Penn State football show with myself and Matt McGloin. You can check out the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, that this rushing attack of Penn State is not necessarily seeing the progress of a fantastic offensive line in the making. It is incrementally better than last year's offensive line, which is yep. not saying much. The fortunate thing is that Nick Singleton and Catron Allen are – two very talented athletes and they can overcome a bad offensive line in front of them very similar to the way that Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders did um, earlier in their careers here at Penn yeah. State. Pete, thank you very much. I'm mad. <laughs> I want you to say so. Thank you, Pete. We're mad too. We understand. But I've been saying this and, and then coming into this game, T. Frank, to see them immediately attempt to run off tackle that has worked for the first five games of the season because yep. they were playing inferior competition. They yep. were playing hell. Two teams were central Michigan and Ohio. U. you should have had success running the ball there. But if you go back and you watch a lot of the long runs that were busted by Allen and Singleton earlier this season, it was an off tackle run where they had to defeat one to two defenders, either at the line of scrimmage or at the second level that, doesn't work against Michigan or elite Big Ten competition or elite competition whatsoever. Yeah. So I've been talking about this for a while, and to unfortunately have it proven correct, I was very dismayed. Uh, one thing I do want to turn our attention to is uh, is Drew Aller. Yep. 
this has been the hope of Penn State fans for so long to see Drew Auer unseat Sean Clifford. That's not what happened today. Sean Clifford sustaining an injury, Auer put into the game. And to call it a bad situation for Auer to go into would be an understatement. This, yeah. There's nothing to take away from this in regards to a negative or a positive for Drew Auer because th- this was such an unwinnable situation. There was no substitution that Penn State was going to be able to make that would have affected the outcome. Is there anything you, you can look at from Auer that was a good thing or an alarming thing? Um, there are a couple times I thought his pocket presence wasn't as good as it has been. Um. And, you know, some of his passes were wobbly and off target. The, the fourth down, truthfully, I was trying to get this show ready, so I was not paying laser-focused attention to all those things uh, because there's a couple things I need to do to get everything going here for the show. And in a blowout like that, uh, you have to make some choices as a, as a person uh, working in covering football. Sure. But the fourth down pass to Parker Washington behind low um, I think it was the first time he looked overmatched by the moment and by what he was seeing. Uh, so without really going back and, and dialing into all those things, those are the two things that were the best about Drew Aller through the first couple games that he looked poised uh, both as a freshman in the moment and in the pocket, but in an obvious passing situation with uh, no net. I'm not surprised. Like that's not something that would be a shocker. He still de- he still delivered some good passes that were dropped or that were, you know, not quite where they needed to be. So it it wasn't what you were hoping, right? Even in the blowout where he comes in and he sparks this efficient drive where they go down the field and oh, it was just that all of these things were missed. Mm-hmm. He he got to his backside read a couple times. He got to his second read, I should say, a couple times. So that those are good things. But it's not like you got what everyone was expecting, which is Aller can come in and save the day. This offensive line and this offense did not have the ability to match up with that defense, which is a good defense, but there are ways to attack them. They just couldn't get to those things because to get to B, you do need to overcome A first. One thing that I've seen brought up a couple of times, uh, Penn State came off a bye week, which makes this even more confounding. And Uh, I believe if I have the statistic correct based on the Fox broadcasters is that uh, James Franklin is now three and seven coming off of bye weeks of all the weeks that you needed a bye week to get ready for Michigan. Yeah. This was absolutely it. The and North healthy Western game. Yeah. They came in healthy with uh, now. Yeah. I shouldn't say they came in completely healthy because Landon Tangwell didn't play today for some reason, but they got Hunter Norzad back. They got uh, Keandre Lambert Smith in whatever fashion of health he was in. And then they got Tyler Warren back and none of that mattered. Yeah. Uh, it's just upsetting because the Northwestern game was not an encouraging victory. You understand the elements. It was a horrible, putrid, rainy, nasty game uh, to be in, I can imagine. So you you kind of will forgive some of the things that occurred in that game. And then the Central Michigan win was not terribly inspiring either. So the bye week felt like it was coming at this wonderfully opportune time, a time to hit the reset button, as you said, get healthy, get really ready for Michigan. And it just didn't matter. And now, um, as I'm seeing a lot in the comments section, people having a lot of concern for hosting Minnesota in a whiteout next weekend at 7.30 p.m. uh, on ABC. Uh, The the positive that I'll say is that Minnesota lost today to Illinois, which is not necessarily like the greatest news. And you and I were texting each other about this as this Michigan game was unfolding, is that if Penn State was playing Illinois this season, they would lose because the matchup is completely not in their favor. 
And yeah. to the credit of Minnesota, Ibrahim still had 15 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown against the second best defense in college football in Illinois. Uh, Minnesota was able to score a touchdown, which was the first home touchdown given up by Illinois this season. So there's so little to glean from this Michigan game. I do want to look forward with you to Minnesota. How do you feel about that game now? Well, I I, I have no idea. You know, like the the defense was one thing in my mind, and they are decidedly not that. So recalibrating how I feel about how this defense can defend the run is going to be a big factor in how uh, I feel about their matchup with Minnesota. Because to me, this game... And when you face running teams, there is simple mathematics that can get you where you need to be, which is stop the run with either numbers or overwhelming talent. Like that was the difference in this game is Penn State uh, aggression, athleticism and uh, undersized guys being stronger than their playing weight. Right. Chop Robinson had played well so far this year. Hakeem Beeman plays stronger than his his uh, listed weight because they play with uh, an attacking mentality, with anticipation. Being at home helps the offense for sure because they know the snap count and you know there's no advantage of having to go to a silent count and everyone's moving at the same time. Uh, but that doesn't explain why Penn State was so bad here. Um, and, and really, that's going to be a recalibration of, okay, now, I, now we know for sure these things aren't good. Or they need to be better. And I don't know. I don't see a path forward for how they get better right now with the personnel that struggled the way they did. The only thing will be that Minnesota does not look at this game plan and go, okay, we'll target those weaknesses. And I think still, if you run downhill at Penn State and you don't stress them laterally, you know, those linebackers, they'll play well. Um, So Tanner Morgan's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, obviously. He's been in uh, college football for as long as Sean Clifford. But their defense is good, and uh, their offense is similar to Michigan's. So I'm not going to predict that Penn State gets blown out again, but they certainly don't have any advantage coming into this game of, okay, they've got a great run defense, and that's the only thing Minnesota can do. Because that's been my assumption, that Penn State was, has a good run defense, that this stuff was going to work itself out, and they were getting better and more consistent, and that was not the case today. So that throws all of that up in the air. Uh, in regards to Minnesota, Tanner Morgan, um, I don't uh, – obviously, you and I were watching the Penn State game, so we're not entirely sure what happened in Minnesota, Illinois. But Tanner Mer- uh, Morgan was 4 of 12, 21 yards and a pick. I don't know if he was injured because it says his backup, uh, Kaliak Manis, came into the game, was 2 of 6 okay. for 17 yards and a touchdown. So if anybody in the comments section actually got to watch that as well as watching the game between Michigan and Penn State, uh, would love to hear what happened to Tanner Morgan because that could be something that's a big deal. Are we getting to all these? Uh, are we getting to all of our our super chats here? Uh, there's we're there's getting to them. Very few of them are questions, so this is more of a venting exercise. Uh, yeah, you. between my PSU team, my Auburn team, y'all are making my emotional support whiskey necessary. Uh, yeah, I'm hitting that immediately after this. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, this is just rough, T. Frank. Uh, we're we're getting. Thank you to everybody in the. The, the comments section and the super chat for getting involved. We appreciate all the donations to the channel. Um, if you guys have any questions, we're, we're more than happy to answer them. But see, Frank, I'm just seeing a lot of people that are very upset. One, one yeah, name, let, that him, keeps let getting... him vent, let him. Yeah. Vent. One, one thing that one name that keeps coming up uh, in the chats is Jonathan Sutherland uh, yeah. at linebacker and whether or not the experiment has succeeded or failed uh, moving him from defensive back to linebacker. What's your opinion? 
if you look at it based on winning the most important game of the season, it's failed. He's been he's been good, and I use good in terms of looking at the overall play and the plays that he's not directly involved in of is he in his gap? Is he holding up the point of attack well? Until today, he had been doing that. Against this particular team, he did not. So if you said Jonathan Sutherland was too small to play in the box, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the lack of size was a factor today, especially, and I think this is important at the second level, the linebackers outside of Abdul Carter have some deficiency, whether it's size or speed or length. And they were, I, I think that they were the weakness today. And it wasn't even, there were times that Penn state got Blake Corm in the backfield. And then he either fell forward for six yards or he broke a tackle. So all the tackles that Penn State have been making on these uh, slants and stunts and getting guys free in the backfield, this offensive line, again, from a from a perspective of they knew their assignment and they were ready and anticipating it, they handled all of those things, and then when they didn't, missed a tackle. And like it, it's you know it's it's simple as that, but it's also you worked so hard to get that guy into that spot, to get one on one in the hole, and Blake Corum was better today. Um, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put all this on the defensive line. They were not good today, but really, I, I don't think they were the major problem. The offensive line got to the second level and attacked those linebackers instead of the linebackers getting to the line of scrimmage and attacking the, uh, the, the running game. I thought they were hesitant. I thought the whole defense was a bit slow and hesitant mm -hmm. out of the gate. And then as the game wore on, they got less so, uh, or, or more so. And that you can't win with this defense that way. Everything about this defense is getting on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And I don't know whether they were afraid of the RPOs or the read options, but I thought coming in this game, you have to get the ball into the hands of JJ McCarthy and find out what happens. Just mess around and find out because mm -hmm. Blake Corum, we know the script and, and they, they didn't, they didn't do that. And I, I don't know what adjustments there are to make at this point, but um, they need to make them. Uh, quick question here from Taylor. Does Ohio State or Michigan have the stronger running game? I, I'd say it's Michigan by a lot. Um, Ohio yeah. State can ran, run the ball well, but that's more looking ahead to that game uh, at home against Ohio State. I'm more worried about what C.J. Stroud and those wide receivers can do, and that doesn't necessarily make me feel better, even though Penn State is a good secondary. Yeah, um, and they didn't play particularly well either today because another thing that you are expecting is that when they throw the ball, when when Michigan throws the ball, Johnny Dixon is going to be there at the catch point and you're going to have now guys did play well. You know, there were guys that were fighting and Joey Porter Jr. Despite all the boneheaded decisions, he was on his guy and they were, they were, there was tight coverage there. But um, for the most part, I, I didn't think that there was really any level of the defense that was playing with a lot of aggression or downhill mentality, which is the idea of this defense is you dictate the action and they, they didn't do that today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Uh, quick question here. Thank you for donating to the chat. Um, how do they fix this team going forward? We have the recruits, but it does not seem to show up on the field. That's the uh, million dollar question, or <laughs> I guess I'd call it $70 million question. Yeah. Uh, well, let's start with the defense. Abdul Carter, they've talked about him being a Mike a lot. He's playing well to, so he can get on the field and he's making some mistakes, making some young player mistakes. And that cost Penn State a couple times over the last couple of games. Um, so are you going to put him at the mic? Because he has the speed and the length to be good. Um, at the Sam linebacker position, I, that that is what they have. Um, do you want to move an, a player over there? Do you want to move uh, Curtis Jacobs back over to the Sam? I, I don't think so. Um and then, you know, from the offensive perspective, did a change at quarterback do anything today? No. Uh, and, and it was not in a situation that was going to warrant any of those things. But if you're just wanting to throw the freshman out into the fire, careful what you wish for. Like, you know, shell-shocked quarterbacks. Sean Clifford is that guy. So I, I, don't, I don't know that that's what you want to do. And then... You know, the offensive line, the run game, I thought they'd been diverse, and I thought they were um, competent, good even at times, of not dominating but getting to their blocks. They didn't have enough plays for us to find out about that today, but they certainly did not right off the bat have any of those things. They were defeated early. They were defeated often. And um, I don't know that they're going to face another team with a front like Michigan that has such good defensive tackles, but they could like, again, I haven't watched any of those. You know, I haven't done a deep dive on any of those teams. So this is not a team that's going to run downhill on people. They have to do some certain schemes. They have to do some certain ways to find, to get their athletes in space. And that's one of the things that I was most disappointed in. I thought there would be a better plan of attack of getting Nick Singleton in space. And they didn't do anything creative Again, they only have the ball for like 35 seconds in the first quarter. So I don't know how much you're supposed to show, but they didn't yeah. show anything that was in, like innovative. And, and getting this, by the way, getting this defense running laterally, kind of the same thing. Their defensive line, Ohio, uh, Iowa and uh, Maryland, both of them were able to get some chunk yardage against this front by outside zone trying to stretch them vertically, get those big defensive tackles running. I didn't think Penn State was going to have success with that because they have not been good at outside zone, but they, they didn't even have an opportunity to try it. So, I, I, yeah, the game plan to me was a surprise. Uh, donating here, KJ77, thank you very much. This was ugly, but give me something positive going forward the rest of the way. There has to be something, right? Tig, Tig Brown's the real deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tig played really well. He was the one guy <laughs> that is 205 pounds and was aggressive in playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. When he blitzed, he got on the edge of a, a guard and he got in the backfield. When he was run blitzing, he got underneath the guy and he got a tackle. But then he got in the open field and, you know, got his ankles broken and, and gave up a touchdown. So I, yep. Tig, Tig Brown was good. And I thought the the guys that I pegged coming into this game that should be good and should have a, uh, an impact when they got that ball in their hands, Brenton strange and Parker Washington both fought for yards and got a, a little bit after the catch, but they just couldn't break tackles. They couldn't, they couldn't make any big plays because Michigan's a sound team. And when you're hoping for those things and you don't have speed to stress guys and get yourself in space one-on-one -on -one and make the tackle harder and you're just throwing, you know, sticks 
that's what that that's kind of what you get uh, I'm seeing a lot of people jump in the chat, and it's the continuation ever since Drew Hour was uh, committed to Penn State is that pulls Sean Clifford, put in Drew Hour. I think this is a very astute point uh, made here in the uh, comment section by Gooney. We don't want Hour to turn into Christian Hackenberg. And what I mean by that and what Gooney probably means by that is a five-star you know, recruit, a quarterback who looks like he is a world beater, looks like a Trevor Lawrence-type you know, talent, something like that. And ultimately, it just doesn't quite pan out that way. Is that the risk if you start Drew Aller too soon? I understand everybody's calling for Sean Clifford's head, and I'm not defending him, but is that the risk if you make the change too soon with Drew? So one of the things that I think has been a struggle this year has been the downfield passing game and um, that element missing with Sean Clifford so that you can stack and flood and you don't have to worry about covering anything deep. Sean Clifford threw the ball deep today and completed the one pass they tried. So I don't, I don't know that in this particular game, it would change anything. And, and, and Pete makes a good point here. He needs time to be the starter rhythm, have a game plan. It's built around him that I agree with. Uh, Cause coming in and, and running just plays. I I'm struggling to see after this game and I'm trying not to overreact. I'm trying to see a, a path forward for this Offense, because outside of Nick Singleton, they don't have any speed. They don't have any threats. Mm-hmm. And when when you want to stretch people horizontally and vertically, you need speed. Mitchell Tinsley wasn't as fast as I thought he would get once he got into the Penn State program. I think he could be explosive if you had the ability to stress the defense, which is through route running and through making guys slower than they are because you are... Uh, using some of your other skills other than just straight line speed to your advantage. Those things aren't happening because Penn State can't get guys into space the right way to make that happen. Um, I think a more aggressive downfield passing attack is something that they need, but I don't think they have the horses to do it. So when you run two tight ends and you run those two receivers, what you have is uh, is what you get. Like there, there's guys aren't open. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have the the horses to challenge guys down the field. And it kind of creates this pre- pedestrian, inconsistent offense that's built on, you know, sometimes winning and then hoping that your freshman running backs keep you on schedule. This is another question uh, from Michael Fox that has popped up a lot here in the chat. Obviously, the frustration with James Franklin has been mounting for a number of years. Yeah, uh, it's something I recently talked about on my show, Pater to Penn State football show. It's a podcast with myself and Matt McGloin. If you want to check it out, uh, a lot of people, especially this past week, Penn State fans were very, very excited uh, to see that Matt Rule, former head coach of the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, was fired. Uh, he's got a forty million dollar buyout, so he's in a really good shape right now financially, and he can buy a boat. Uh, but now you're looking at Penn State fans who want to see Matt Rule potentially added as the Penn State head coach. There's a connection with new athletic director Pat Kraft. Those two go back to their Temple days together. Yeah. Realistically, from a money standpoint, I don't see Penn State cutting ties with James Franklin anytime soon because his buyout yeah. currently is seventy two million dollars. On that alone, I don't see them moving on from Franklin. Um, overall, though, is this just continuing to be the same song and dance that we've seen over the last few years? Um, let me address the bigger picture then uh, of Pat Craft coming in, the direction of the athletic department, and and the university to to 
take football seriously. And I, and that sounds like Penn state hasn't taken football seriously. seriously. Yeah. To the level that Penn state fans want it. And the, and what James Franklin has been saying since he got here of, you need to donate more, you need to pour in more resources so that we can compete. Um, that doesn't do him any favors when you come into game plans out of the bye week like this. Um, that every all of the problems are off the field. All the problems are not off the field. And I'm again, this is this is something that the evidence at this point points to it. I I I'm typically not a guy that comes in and says coaching is terrible and blah blah blah. But this game had the chance to be close, and it wasn't. These two teams are not as far apart as the final score indicates, but. It is. And there's got to be a reason, you know, there's got to be a reason that these things aren't happening and, and out of the bye week against top 10 teams on the road, all of those stats that they put up there at a certain point, it is what it is. So if James Franklin gets all the resources that he wants and you see the beautiful new weight room, we go see that every week when we talk uh, to the team on post-practice on Wednesday, you know, he's going to get those resources now, at least that's the direction of the university. So the, I know it's nine years in the clock is now ticking. You know, if, if you want to say that he's been playing with one hand tied behind his back, or at least, you know, one arm slightly tied behind his back. I don't know. I have a terrible analogy here. Now that he's going to be getting the resources, there's, there's none of those excuses. So I, I don't, I don't have an answer as to how to fix that, but I do think that at this point, the evidence speaks for itself. It, it's rough. Uh, I think we're all <laughs> I think we're all feeling pretty ticked off after this game. Um, and then just looking ahead for Penn State, you know, I think T. Frank, you and I have talked about it before, is that October is just this gauntlet run for Penn State. Obviously, you just got done with Michigan. Next week, it's a whiteout at home against Minnesota. The week after the weekend of Halloween, it's at home against Ohio State. That's going to be on uh, at on big noon kickoff as part of Fox Sports coverage. That's going to be a noon game. Um, Ohio State is. Ohio State. So that is going to be yep. very, very difficult. Then you're at Indiana versus a good Maryland team at Rutgers versus Michigan State. Um, you were hoping that this was going to be a competitive game, even if it was a loss. But at the end of the day, now looking forward to the remainder of this schedule. How are you feeling? Well, you can't feel great about anything after 41 to 17 and you gave up 418 yards rushing. You, you can't feel good about anything now again this defense i don't i would be shocked if this was the norm going forward that they are not able to stop the run um i i i i have to go back and watch you know some of the some of the parts of the plays that led to so such a wide open gap outside of just the 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 linebackers and everything i've harped on already there are probably schematic things that uh, I know Joel Klatt was was talking about like rotating away from the formation and trying to get they just the things that they tried to do today from a schematic standpoint obviously did not work. Um, but I, I would have a hard time believing that this Penn State defense will be that the rest of the season. I just I can't until I see it happen again. I can't believe it's going to happen again. The, some of this will be corrected. Um, but from the offense, I I'm not surprised. I mean, this is kind of what we've expected from them uh, through the first couple weeks of the season, despite the fact that they've had short fields and uh, put up 33 points on the Central Michigan team. The offense was not as responsible as you would like for that particular point total. The inconsistency of the offense is a huge problem, but I don't even think it was the offensive players today 
necessarily. So the offense, I can see this continuing. The defense, I can see getting better. And where does that leave you? Does that leave you with them winning more games? I We're going to find out. We're absolutely going to find out. And I, I picked them to be, I think I picked them to be nine and three. I, I think they could still go in three and win nine games, you know, in this three game stretch. It's going to be a really rough stretch. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. So yeah, uh, Penn State uh, drops their first game of the season on the road against Michigan, a battle of top 10 teams. Uh, Goonie, I want to thank you for dropping into the uh, the super chat here and donating. You frankly, yeah, you've been all over Pete. the place, Goonie. Yeah, thank you, Goonie. Um, you and Pete have been killing it. Yeah, there is certainly, uh, Goonie, a ripple effect. Um, but uh, again, as I mentioned, the buyout for James Franklin is enormous. I have no expectation for him to elect to leave no. Penn State. Um, and the same thing with Mike Yursich, unless Yursich is outright fired by James Franklin, which I also don't expect. So I, I would imagine that this core, this nucleus of coordinators, coaches, et cetera, stays intact. Uh, Manny Diaz is obviously capable of being a head coach in college football. So if he were to depart for a, a role like that, same thing with Mike Yursich, that would potentially happen. But I, I really don't see James Franklin outright getting fired uh, and Penn State eating that buyout and then James Franklin firing Yursich or Manny Diaz, I feel like that would be a little bit yeah. too reactionary to this game. Uh, yes, I, that is absolutely true. Reactionary to this game. I think pointing to the body of work is absolutely fair, uh, but you do risk all of those things. You risk all of those things that they pointed out of if you destabilize the program you will take a step back unless you bring in somebody that can somehow keep everyone in the program i i i couldn't answer any of those things truthfully you know like uh drew aller came here to play for mike yersich they had a relationship before yersich was at penn state so that's a huge part of that to get i i it would it would be it would be a step backwards for sure no matter what if you were to change the coaching staff offensive coordinators or head coach um and is that the worst thing in the world i think fans in the chat are saying that it can't get worse than this of being in the middle in limbo um it can get worse than this but it doesn't have to like i agree you can find other good coaches i i don't know that it's the answer truthfully i i don't know that it's the answer to change the coaching staff and part of that is just because i don't I don't really know what would happen when you do that, right? Yeah. You have a, a top, continually getting top 10 classes and uh, bringing in good talent and having a top five class last year. But I'd also don't want to sit here and say to fans, hey, it's definitely fine because today it is not It's not fine. okay. Yeah. It's not fine. And it goes beyond kind of the, the scope of what I could tell you, you know, as far as analyzing what happens on the field. The machinations of all the stuff that happens off the field is a different story completely. I want to thank you all for joining us here. Uh, a reminder, you can subscribe to Blue White Illustrated for just $1 a month. Head to on3.com and search for Blue White Illustrated's homepage uh, to see what they're all about. And I highly encourage all of you to check out my podcast, Pater to Penn State Football Show with myself, Tom Hannafin, and former Penn State quarterback, Matt McGloin. We've got recap and preview episodes plus interviews coming out every single week. Uh, we'll be dropping that podcast later on today, and I'm sure it'll be as cheery and happy as this podcast. So <laughs> hopefully you'll tune in. T Frank, thank you. A pleasure as always. And thank you all yeah. again for joining us here on the Blue White Illustrated live post game show on YouTube. We'll see you guys next week as Penn State will be hosting Minnesota.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.